Here's some exciting news from our friends at NT Factor. You've heard me talk for years about the natural energy-producing benefits and anti-aging effects of NT Factor's line of nutritional supplements. Well, now those same benefits are available for your pets. Introducing NT Factor Pet Power. It's the first formula to restore the structure and function of cellular membranes in animals increasing vigor and vitality. By adding NT Factor Pet Power to their food, research has shown that energy loss and other age-related changes in animals were reduced and are delayed after only eight weeks of daily use. Now your pets can benefit from the same clinically proven formula I use and prescribe to my patients to repair damaged cells and improve your body's natural energy production. Clinical trials have shown that NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half and it also reduces some of the side effects of aging. With a 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. You can get the NT Factor line of nutritional formulas, including the all-new Pet Power, by calling 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today we're going to talk to uh, one of our uh, foremost experts on digestive wellness. Uh, we've interviewed her in the past because she is the author of a marvelous book entitled Digestive Wellness. Uh, we're circling back to interview her again because Digestive Wellness has just come out in its fifth edition, and we're going to find out why. Uh, the fourth edition wasn't uh, cutting it, that we need a fifth edition because uh, this science is a moving target. Uh, there are tremendous advances. And uh, the author of Digestive Wellness, our guest today, Liz Lipsky, uh, is on top of all the latest developments. Uh, she is a PhD. She's a certified nutrition specialist. Uh, she uh, has a variety of credentials in the field of clinical nutrition, and she's also Director of Academic Development and Nutrition and Integrative Health at a mainstream uh, university uh, system, Maryland University of Integrative Health. Uh, she uh, has also uh, been on the faculty at the prestigious Institute for Functional Medicine, where she teaches doctors about uh, how to do uh, functional medicine. Uh, she has uh, all kinds of uh, important contributions, such as being contributor, contributing editor for the book Integrative Gastroenterology, uh, which she uh, uh, wrote uh, for Jerry Mullen, Dr. Mullen we've interviewed here on Intelligent Medicine. And um, she is a, a, an encyclopedic expert on the subject of digestive wellness. So Liz, it's a pleasure having you back on Intelligent Medicine. It's been a while. I, th I think it's actually been several years since we talked to you uh, about uh, the book. So the first question I posed to you is, well, why an update? What has changed? When was the last edition? Actually, when was the first edition of your book? When did you initially write it? And what have been the subsequent iterations? And why, why update it now? Okay. Well, first of all, I think you already said it. The, the research in this area is just exploding. And when I first set out to write Digestive Wellness the first time, it came out in 1995. So, 
that takes me, us um, back. Yeah. 25 years ago. And you probably remember back to this, but you know, it was the very beginnings where, where thought leaders like, um, Dr. Stephen Berry and Dr. Sid Baker and Dr. Leo Galland were just starting to look at gut health and dysbiosis and Stephen Berry even coined the phrase leaky gut. Um, and they were starting to teach about this kind of area about digestion and about what happens when digestive functions out of balance. And, and it really piqued my curiosity. And I went to every conference they put on and I just wanted to learn more about it. I certainly wasn't an expert at that moment. And one of the doctors that I was working with, he showed me the first GI test, a stool test. And he said, to me, it goes, these tests are going to change all of internal medicine, mm -hmm. which they haven't really, but, but, you know, it made me really curious. And so I wrote the first edition of Digestive Wellness in, you know, the early mid 1990s. And, um, and what's happened is that over time, and since the last edition, the fourth edition in 2012, we now, you know, the Human Microbiome Project has started to really expand and we have microbiome research from all over the world and we're starting to collect all this data to try to figure out like, well, what does that mean if you have ulcerative colitis or migraines or cancer? Like what's, what's important about this? And also we know so, so much more about what we call leaky gut, which is increased intestinal permeability, which when we have kind of a leaky small intestine, what happens is that we get food molecules and chemical molecules and maybe parasites or fungi or bacteria that go into our bloodstream. And then we start having immune reactions. So, you know, we have so much more research there. And then we have so much more research on things like the gut brain. And I just felt compelled to, as I keep doing every so often, keep feeling compelled to update the book. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is it just out, the fifth edition. Uh, and you, you know what's interesting, Liz, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this, is that uh, a, an ancient conception of the gut and digestion uh, partook of overall health. We look at all the traditional medical systems, you know, whether it be Tibetan medicine or whether we look at traditional Chinese medicine uh, or even, you know, ancient Western medicine, you know, going back to uh, Hippocrates. And they all uh, emphasize the importance of uh, digestion of the gut and the impact of that on human health. And then we had in the beginning of the 20th century, a Nobel Prize winner, Eli Mechnikov, uh, who is best known as a guy who proposed uh, yogurt. Uh, as a way of restoring uh, gut balance. And he talked about something called auto-intoxication. And then, you know, with high-tech medicine uh, in the early 20th century, you know, we thought we knew it all. And then they said, oh, Eli Mechnikov, all that superstitious stuff about auto-intoxication, that's a lot of bunk. The gastrointestinal tract is basically a tube uh, where we absorb nutrients and then we, uh, you know, digest them and uh, poop them out. And it, you know, just a two, you know, we, it has nothing to do with the rest of the body. And now we've come full circle. We're almost coming back to appreciate uh, the wisdom of the ancients on the role of the gut in overall health, right? Yeah. You know, he won the Nobel Prize for his work over a hundred years ago, and we're just coming back to it. Eat cultured and fermented foods, have good communities, 
where you feel supported, move your body, you know, so much of health, as I know you promote, it's so much of it is simple. So much of it is about how we live our lives. And we've come so far away from kind of how our great grandparents lived. And I think so much of what we're trying to do is, well, how can we kind of emulate that in a 21st century style where we have some of the conveniences of, um, of being able to go into a grocery store or even have food delivered to your front door from a farm um, where you can make it easy to have a healthier lifestyle. Well, how is it that we got into so much trouble? Why are our guts so messed up in 21st century uh, America and in the West? What are some of the factors that have uh, uh, assailed our GI health? Well, just to kind of back up one second and then I'll sure. answer that. The reason why we eat food in the first place is to nourish every cell and tissue in our body. And so when that doesn't happen well, then we feel tired, we feel sore, we start having systemic health issues. And, um, you know, so as a nutritionist, I'm always starting with, well, what does somebody eat? And the quality of to get back to your real question, the quality of what we eat, we have a new paper out that says that 71% of what Americans eat is ultra processed. Mm. That's a recipe for disaster right there. It is. That's the first thing. So, you know, as a nutritionist or you as a physician, the first thing we want to start with is, well, what are you eating? And what are you drinking? And how are you moving? And, you know, who are your friends? And how much sleep do you get? And when we look at all of those pieces, we're all out of balance. The average person eats terribly, doesn't get enough fruits and vegetables, doesn't get enough fiber, doesn't get enough antioxidants, is eating all this ultra-processed food. And then we also are exposed to a lot of stress. That It's not like people didn't have stress earlier, but we don't turn it off. We just keep moving. And we know that stress increases gut permeability and stress has also an effect on the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And then, there's a, yeah. there's a gut brain axis that we're now becoming more aware of. It's a, it's a major, you know, uh, eight lane highway. Uh, the brain sends impulses to the gut and the gut actually sends impulses to the brain and may contribute to neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's even. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is when you look at um, some of the latest papers on Parkinson's, they say, oh, you know, a lot of this dysfunction started in the gut. And we're starting to see the same same kinds of papers on fatty liver and um, type 2 diabetes and cardiometabolic syndrome where people's cholesterol and triglycerides and blood pressure are going up. You know, we're starting to recognize from the research that digestion, as you said, people have known for millennium and put into practice, but the digestion is really the seat of health. And if it's not working right, nothing else does. And, you know, you look at, I know you discussed intermittent fasting on your last podcast. And, you know, when we let the body really rest and not have food, and when we get enough sleep, which is for the average adult seven to nine hours of sleep a night, I seem to need even more. My body likes 10 or sometimes even 11 hours of sleep. Um, 
when we really allow our body to rest, that's where a magical regeneration happens. And most of us don't do that. And we even have new research on the microbiome that it also has this circadian rhythm, you know, so that when we're sleeping, it's doing its maintenance and it's doing its healing and it's trying to get us back in, in line. So when you ask me like, what's out of balance and why, you know, do we have so many digestive problems? I think it's because the way that we live has changed so radically. Well, there's an aphorism that I like, which is, uh, uh, the road to health is paved with good intestines. <laughs> That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. So what's interesting in the book is that you, uh, it, it's an encyclopedic book. It's, it's nearly 600 pages long. It's chock full of references. Uh, but it's also accessible to, uh, to, to lay people. It's not, you know, it can be used as a text by a health professional, but it also has a lot of practical suggestions for lay people. And you have, um, chapters, on common gastrointestinal disorders, irritable bowel syndrome, and all sort of colitis, and you know various uh, reflux and GERD, and you know specific tips for that. But of interest uh, is in a book on digestion, you have chapters on heart disease, fibromyalgia, migraines, skin conditions, autoimmune diseases, and that's really suggests the you know pervasive influence of the GI tract on uh, other parts of the body. Yeah, when it's not working well, then you get systemic effects. So let's just start with something as simple as migraines. Um, I shouldn't say simple, but, you know, I'm always astounded when I'm teaching how many of the students have migraines. Mm -hmm. And migraines are really common. And we're starting to see a lot of different things about people who have migraines um, that are gut related. So first of all, a long time ago, I learned from Dr. Jean Monroe, who is a physician in the UK. Yeah, UK, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that she did a study on her patients and she found that a hundred percent of her patients with migraines had food reactions. And those were mostly the common ones of dairy products and gluten containing grains and eggs, but also things like chocolate and red wine and, um, uh, sausages and high histamine foods mm-hmm. in some people will co- trigger a migraine. And so Food, foods that are high in these what are called bioactive amines like uh, uh, tyramine, you know, are a common migraine triggers as well known. Yes. You know, so, so when you look at that, you go, well, food reactions will probably, we go back to Metchnikoff where he talked about, you know, endotoxins and now we call that leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And um, the same is true. And also, as you start looking at migraines, something about between 30 and 40% of people who have migraines also have irritable bowel syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, and IBS, we know, is often, most often, a problem with uh, a slow-growing infection in the small intestine called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And we'll see... SIBO. Yep. And so we'll see often that that somebody who has migraines also has IBS, and then you start going, aha, this person probably has SIBO. And I'm sure you see that in your office mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things, you know, when people cl- uh, complain of fatigue, I mean, we usually, we look at the, the main things. We look at, you know, whether they're hypothyroid or if they have low levels of B12 or iron, you know, all common things. Uh, but then it's often we need to go to the gut 
to look at the gut as a possible cause of depletion of energy uh, by virtue of endotoxemia, the toxins that are released by proliferation of bad bugs in SIBO, for example. Yeah, and so you mentioned, you know, um, skin issues. Well, so dermatology, you think, ah, eczema, psoriasis, you start thinking, does this person have dysbiosis? Do they have, like in psoriasis, we have a huge amount of people with psoriasis who actually have fungal infections in their skin, which they probably also have in their digestive system. Mm -hmm. And so you start looking at, and you start looking at dermatology issues as leaky gut, leaky skin. And now we say, well, leaky gut, leaky heart, leaky gut, leaky brain, blood brain barrier. And so as the research kind of expands, we're really seeing that you have all these different relationships. And I know that you've seen this in your own, in your own patients, but you know, when I was in practice, I'd work with someone who was depressed or had a lot of anxiety. And, and so often they're, when we cleaned up their diet and used maybe a comprehensive elimination type diet or, or, uh, you know, clean it up, make, have somebody eating just really healthful foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains that are gluten free, um, poultry and fish and olive oil and some seeds and, you know, just do this for a few weeks. It's amazing how often somebody will say, my arthritis is so much better, or my depression is gone. Yep. My depression is gone, and my energy is better, and I'm sleeping better, and my moods are better, and my migraines are better. And so you start looking, and you go, aha, so what is going on in the gut, and how do we start working to heal that? And so, you know, um, Dr. Alessio Fasano, he likes to say, you know, the gut is not like Las Vegas. What happens in the gut does not stay in the gut. Mm -hmm. I love that uh, little aphorism because uh, it kind of really brings the point home. Uh, they're even what are called psychobiotics. There are some studies that suggest that uh, administering the right uh, bacteria, uh, you know, via probiotics or even via, you know, something like radical, like a fecal transplant uh, can alter mood. Uh, the bacteria in your intestinal tract can make you sad or anxious uh, or alternatively make you feel uh, happy. Yeah. So a lot of that research on the psychobiotics comes from uh, the University of Cork in Ireland. And we do have, I don't know, 20 or 30 papers right now on children and adults with depression and anxiety and high cortisol levels that demonstrate that probiotics can be really helpful in um, helping us handle stress and making us feel less anxious and making us feel more at peace. Um, we also, the, the research on the fecal microbiome transplants is so fascinating because, again, this is really ancient. I think the first records of this were uh, 2,000 years ago. And um, Dr. Tom Barodi in Australia has been working with this with patients for at least 30 years. And, and the main um, condition that we're using it for in the United States at the moment is, is uh, people have recurrent uh, Clostridia difficile infection, which causes a lot of diarrhea and muscle wasting and people feel really sick. And you can die from it. You know, it's just a wasting disorder. 
Yeah, it's really terrible. And, and, um, so it is kind of the go-to treatment of choice um, for somebody who has that. that that's but been what accepted. It's, it's, it's a remarkable is that it actually has become a mainstream treatment now for uh, C. difficile diarrhea. Uh, that yeah. you're getting fecal transplants. It's being offered in major university centers across the country. So that's yeah. quite quite a remarkable uh, uh, step, and that probably has occurred during the the tendency of your book during digestive wellnesses. Uh, uh, Twenty-five odd years that you've been uh, uh, that that you've been updating the the various editions of that book. It has, but what excites me about fecal transplants is um, we're just starting to see research on people with major depression. Ooh. You know, and we're just start. You know, and it's not. It, most of it's still case studies, but there's a group of naturopaths here in Portland, Oregon, who have been doing a lot of work with people who have mental health issues using fecal transplants and um, they're doing it a little bit differently. They're, they're doing sometimes up to 15 different fecal transplants over a period of time to get more permanent changes, but they're seeing real changes in people's mental health. Um, so I'm really excited about that because you know, I think if, if just changing your diet and getting exercise and getting enough sleep and um, getting out of relationships that don't work for you and changing jobs if you're too stressed at your job, um, if those things don't change your mood, then I, I really think, um, you know, in the next five to 10 years, we're going to start seeing that fecal transplants is my hope that they're going to be just like for C. difficile, that we're going to be starting to see them as be mainstream for people who have autism and mental health issues. Um, and I'm also curious about them going mainstream for people who have ulcerative colitis and yeah. Crohn's disease. Right now, that if I, I'm pretty sure you, you follow the literature as I do, and you know we're hopeful that uh, you can simply uh, you know change the internal environment by doing that. But it, it's a little iffy because it kind of depends on the donor, but it also depends on the recipient. You know, it takes in some people makes a huge difference uh, for others. Uh, it doesn't work or it can backfire. So they seem, they really need to sort of refine the process. It's not as easy as getting a blood transfusion because, you know, you have A, B, you know, O, you know, and, and so on. Uh, that's relatively simple compared to the complexity of the GI tract. It is. And also there's that kind of ook factor. Like, yeah. really, you're going to put some, give me a poop enema? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so there's, so there's that. And we really do need to have like better research. We have like a few case studies of people with Parkinson's or Lyme disease or, you know, but we really need more because we've also had a couple of deaths that have been attributed yeah. to fecal transplant. So it's not something that I would advise people to go on YouTube and learn how to do and get their next door neighbor's poop, you exactly. know? It's not a DIY kind of thing. Uh, all right. What's, you know, look, that this, I think that discussion, you know, let's reserve for, you know, future science, future developments because it's uh, a work in progress. But uh, we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, I want to talk about practical suggestions, suggestions that people can access in the here and now, uh, short of uh, poop pills or, you know, rectal enemas, uh, which can um, change the paradigm in terms of 
their GI complaints. And they, those complaints are so ubiquitous. They range from irritable bowel syndrome, of course, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, but, uh, you know, much more common, just, uh, indigestion, GERD, reflux, the things that, uh, necessitate people taking uh, acid blocking medication, which we'll talk about in part two, the downsides of chronic use of some of these, what are called PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. Uh, our guest, Liz Lipsky, she's written a wonderful book, uh, Digestive Wellness, now in its fifth edition. Uh, you can get it uh, via her website, which is what? LizLipsky.com? It's InnovativeHealing.com. Okay. And there's also DigestiveWellnessBook.com. Great. that That's easy for people to remember. So DigestiveWellnessBook.com is the place to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can find out all about the book and... Um, uh, consider it ordering, ordering it for your health library. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We'll be right back.